0: Hello, my beautiful people. Welcome to Permission to Think. I'm Edwin Rustrian and I'm glad you're joining me today. First and foremost, let me start by saying that there are times when, as much as we try to not watch the news, the headlines seem to find us, and when they do, they are usually terrifying and horrific in nature. Such was the case this week when I found out about the devastating turn of events in Texas. My heart sank and I wept. I wept for the unimaginable pain and horror the parents of those children murdered must feel to never see their children again. I wept to the reality that somehow as a society we lost our way. I wept because I'm a father of two girls and an educator in a school full of children who are inheriting a culture that's divisive, violent, and depraved. They are fighting each and every day for a chance to have a bright future. I want to mention that I will never make this podcast a platform for politics or anything else you can find on other platforms. That's not what I'm here for. My desire will always be to raise and ask questions that will make us all think critically and take a deeper look into our hearts' lives and find a greater purpose and meaning to live committed and courageously to the things and people who matter most to us, our children, our families, and our relationship with our Creator, our Heavenly Father. At this time, I would like to take a moment of silence for those who were taken from us too soon. And now, let's give ourselves permission to think. Our topic of the day is Dear Absentee. I came across this letter in an article that I was reading and it was addressed to the absentee father and it reads, Dear Absentee, that name means you should be here, but you are not. When you left, Pieces of my life went with you. I needed to know that I could count on you. We were supposed to build something together. Lots of things together. You could have played with me. That would have helped my confidence grow. You could have been there to build me up after a hard day at school. Instead, I got really mad. You could have helped me build important life skills. Mom is doing her best to fill the peace that was always meant for two. But there are some things only a dad can do. Signed, the child you never knew. Our questions of the day are, One, how important are fathers in the home? Two, how do fathers impact the life of a son or a daughter? Three, How does a father impact the family's finances? Four, how do fathers affect the overall performance of children in school and society? Five, why is there a high percentage of absent fathers in the homes? Six, why do fathers leave the home? The National Father Institute has some very interesting facts about fathers and the impact, their presence or absence has on the family and children. Let's look at just the facts about fathers. The strengths of father presence. Children with involved fathers have a strong foundation for child well-being. They are at lower risk for a host of poor childhood outcomes. Number one, infant mortality, low birth weights, emotional and behavioral problems, neglect and abuse, injury, obesity, poor school performance, teen pregnancy, incarceration as juveniles, alcohol and substance abuse, criminal activity, suicide. That's the strengths of fathers who are present in their homes. Why Involved Dads Are Good For Moms Moms reap a host of benefits when fathers are involved during pregnancy and in the raising their children. The benefits of that are, they are more likely to receive prenatal care. They're less likely to smoke during pregnancy, healthier births, lower risk of postpartum stress, lower risk of postpartum depression, lower parenting stress, more leisure time, higher marital satisfaction. Just to continue on just the facts. Adolescents in a single mother and single father families are at high risk of risky behaviors, victimization, and mental distress compared to those in two-parent families. Adolescent boys with absent fathers are more likely to engage in delinquency than those with fathers who were present. Individuals from father absent homes are 279% more likely to carry guns and deal drugs than peers living with their fathers. Father involvement in schools is associated with the higher likelihood of students getting mostly A's. Children raised in father absent home are more likely to experience behavior problems. One in four children live in a home without a dad. Children living in female-headed homes with no spouse present have a poverty rate of 47.6% over four times the rate for children living in married couple families. The number of children with incarcerated fathers grew to 79% between 1991 and 2007. 92% of parents in prison are fathers. Let me say that again. 92% of parents in prison are fathers. Daughters are are less likely to engage in risky sexual behavior when they have consistent contact and a sense of closeness with their dads. Higher quality father-daughter relationships is a protective factor against engaging, engagement and risky sexual behaviors. There are 2 million single father households versus 10 million single mother households in the U.S., Adolescent teen boys who live with their dads are less likely to carry guns and deal drugs. Involved dads improve their children's overall emotional and social well-being. Boys have fewer behavior problems and girls have fewer psychological problems when they have involved dads. According to the U.S. Census Bureau, 19.5 million children, more than one in four, live without a father in a home. Children who live with their dads do better in school. Women with absent fathers are more likely to have children with absent fathers. Men with absent fathers are more likely to become absent fathers themselves. Father absence is to blame for many of our most intricate social ills affecting children. Now this is a statistic that I found sort of alarming as the years have gone by. In 1960, when they were taking data on single parenting, in 1960 they took data from white families and black families. And in 19, the 1960s, 6.1% of uh, white single mothers were living, there were homes without a father, while 19.9% of black children did not have a father at home. In 1980, they began to take data of Hispanic families, and in 1980s, the data showed that single-parent homes in white families were 13.5%, and in Hispanic families were 19.6%, and black families, 43.9%. Now, you go back to 1960 where the numbers were much lower. Now, in the 80s, there was a high peak, but that wasn't the highest. And then in 1990, white single families without, that means no fathers in the home, grew from 16.2%, grew to 16.2%. Hispanics' families, 27.1%, and blacks, 51.2% fast forward to 2010 white single families 18.3% hispanics 26.3% 48.5% in black families and what you have today the number has grown even more now we must ask like through the years what what has happened since 1960 to now where we are in 2022. You, we kind of have to go back and think about what was happening in the United States, just the trends and what was happening to our culture, to our country, the shifts, the wars, and everything that was going on. But I want to focus in this aspect of why do fathers leave? And sometimes in today's world, why do mothers leave? Why is it that we make a choice to leave and abandon our children. And what we're seeing today is the result of the family that has been completely destroyed. And so for me as a father, I had to really give this a lot of thought in how I was going to share this conversation with you because this has been an ongoing problem in our society. And when particularly fathers are not involved in their children's lives, It has a detrimental impact into their lives. I mentioned some of the facts and some of the data and some of the statistics about the impact fathers leaving have on their children. So why do fathers leave? According to David Brooks, the author of the article, Why Fathers Leave Their Children, fathers don't simply abandon their families out of laziness or lack of love. They leave because they feel unworthy. So I would like to unpack that a little bit just on why the fathers leave and it's a sense of unworthy. Number one, I think that for many fathers, many men, they see parenting as an unrealistic expectation. They see that they have to perform uh, perfect all the time or they have to, you know, dot their I's and cross their T's and there's this unrealistic expectation of what they have to do I have to be the perfect dad they find themselves always comparing themselves many times to what other fathers do or what they're able to provide for their families and I think that that needs to be addressed in the individual to say you know the expectations of a dad is like I am not perfect but one thing I can do is at least be perfect be at home start like by coming back home and being there it it makes an impact you just staying in the house number two is unemployment this is another reason why many fathers leave they feel unworthy they don't feel completely uh, unable to take care and provide for the most basic need and necessities of their families they feel useless and that's where that feeling of unworthy comes in I am out of here because I can't take care. So the easiest way to do in their mind is to say, like, well, if I leave, I'll solve the problem. And what that does, it actually makes the problem bigger because now you left your child more impoverished than it was before as if you stay there. You, You left the child impoverished emotionally, intellectually, spiritually, and financially. And now that child has a greater chance of remaining in poverty just because a man or a father just decided to walk out of their home stay present, stay there, stay vigilant, stay committed, okay? Number three, lack of education. I think for many men who are not, have not been educated, have not had the opportunity, do not understand the true impact that it has when a father walks out of a child. Then that child is forced to not look for that male figure out in the streets. They look for uh, the the entertainment industry. When you look at... um, what you see in, in, in rap videos or, or, or hip-hop or all these other videos that promote this idea that this is what a man is supposed to look like and this is what, how you treat women, uh, the child is getting that model from there to say, that's what I want to identify with because that has been, that space where the father is supposed to be there has now been void and the child now has to come in and fill it with something. It doesn't matter what it is, whether it's good or bad. Most of the time, it just tends to be bad, right? But they need to fill it with something, and that's where that comes in. So lack of education is not really understanding the value that a father has in the home. Stay present. Stay in your home. Uh, Unfortunately, imprisonment is number four. That 92% of, of, of single parents or males end up in prison. There's a large percentage of men imprisoned. Um, what that does, it leaves many children to have and to see their fathers in jail and to say, wow, my dad was in jail. Like what what future that I have and what did he do? And then you leave you live your life with the sense of not having anyone present. And sometimes in our lives, when we, we make the wrong choice and we hang out with the wrong people we end up with experiencing these circumstances that separate us from our families, and now you have your father who is in jail, and what? how does that leave now a child vulnerable and exposed and the wife or the spouse completely to fend for herself and her children, which most of the time puts this unrealistic stress uh, on the parent, the single parent, to try to meet those needs. Another reason why fathers leave is infidelity. Um, In a moment of weakness, men can make these mistakes. No one is uh, exempt from this. Everyone who is listening to me right now, if you're a man, we are all... Um, susceptible to this if we don't watch these parts. The idea that we look at something that appeals to our eye and in the moment and we give in to this because of moment of weakness, it can cost us our entire life and our families and destroy our children. And at the end of that, before you, we commit to something like that, we give in to such weakness, the question that I should always be asked is, is it worth it? Is it worth it me having this infidelity or this experience with someone at the cost of losing my children, losing my wife, and everything that I've built? Is it fair for the person who you, you, you're you deceiving and misleading and leaving and giving them some sort of hope and diminishing their value because you just want to use them to satisfy your own personal Um, urge or itch, as they say. Um, I think that that should be giving a lot of thought. I think that as men, we need to really reevaluate and rethink this aspect of our manhood or masculinity. We don't have to go around proving our manhood to many women. It takes a great man. It takes a powerful man to be able to satisfy the same woman for many, many years to come. That takes great effort. That takes maturity to say, I don't need to go and prove my manhood to many women. I only need to love that one who is the mother of my children. And when you experience that element of commitment to your wife and to your family, your children grow in an environment that they feel safe, protected, and loved because they see the affection that you have with each other. Number six, abuse. Um, Many times there is the sense of physical abuse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, psychological abuse and many women are subjected to this and they stay sometimes committed at least previous generations. Um, stayed present in the home because they understood that if they kicked the husband out, that they were going to be left to fend for themselves and the children were going to be vulnerable. That past generation of women long ago decided to stay with their husbands, even if they knew their husband was unfaithful, even if they knew that their husband was abusive for the sake of the children they chose to stay in such a toxic marriage or relationship, that does not excuse or make right or justify anyway whatsoever what men who were wrong at that time did to their spouses. And then if that wasn't enough, they would just leave after their battles or their their, their, their abuse that they, they did on their spouse. And so you have this idea that many times, and, and it could go both ways too, I believe that in many cases, there, there have been women who have lashed out as, at, at men, and, and, and there are men who just can't take it. They can't take the roles of, you know, saying, well, you know, my wife, just, she just nags at me, and she's just constantly in my ear, and, and she's always criticizing me, and she's always putting me down. and The abuse can go both ways. And so uh, that sense of abuse needs to be dealt with, but we have to deal with it from the, from the point of view of where it's stemming from. Because as, as adults who would become married, we go into these relationships I always say this, that in marriage, there is nothing there. The only thing that's in marriage is all the baggage that both people bring into that relationship. If you bring love, if you bring uh, a fulfilled life, if you bring knowledge, intellect, emotional relationship with God, if you bring that into your marriage, that's what's going to be there. But if you bring pain, resentment, bitterness, anger, frustration, all this... Uh, abuse that you bring into the mat, that's what's going to be there. So sometimes as, as uh, husbands or wives, we go at each other because that's what we have inside and we don't know how to resolve these things. And the, the best way that we can solve any one of these problems is basically either lashing at our spouse through verbal abuse or if it gets to the point, which it's is very detrimental is to the physical abuse. But I still think that the more damaging one is the psychological and verbal abuse that goes on in many homes. And perhaps that's one of the reasons why many fathers leave, either because they're hurting their spouses to the point that they can take it and feel unworthy again, or because they are the ones, the recipients of such abuse. This has to be dealt with as well. I also think number seven is spiritually bankrupt. I think it's a society we have left and abandoned God for this pursuit of social justice. And the social justice is being defined by a moral compass that is being established by men. That means that, and by men I mean both men and women, and in a philosophical aspect that we want to establish what's right and what's good. And we want to be the ones that define or redefine a moral compass by which we live, by the paradigm of which I want to do what makes me feel good. I want to do something that makes me feel alive. I want to do something that makes me feel happy. And many times that is a very selfish, inward way of looking at it as opposed to thinking holistically about your family, about your spouse, about your children, how do they fit into this paradigm of individualism? And, but I also think where is the nucleus where God has been removed from our country, our, our institutions, and even our families? So when we are spiritually bankrupt and there is a drought spiritually, we are dying um, inside we are dying in in our faith and in our heart to understand that broken relationships are destroyed because God left our home and left our society. God is never the center of the relationship and therefore our marriages truly fall apart. Now, that's, that's seven things that I kind of pointed out. I'm going to repeat them again. Number one, unrealistic expectations of fathers. Number two, Unemployment, when the father's not able to provide for the families, the lack of education, not understanding the value and the importance it is to stay present in the home. Imprisonment, when there are 92% of men who are in prison. Uh, infidelity, when in a moment of weakness or pursuit of something that, we, that appeals to our eye, we give in to. Sacrificing all the hard work and just rendering it and asking ourselves, is that worthy at the end? The abuse that occurs in the home emotionally, physically, verbally, psychologically. And then number seven is that we're spiritually bankrupt as men, and therefore we seek that identity in other things. Now, what then destroys our marriages? And so this statistics has been out for a very long time, and one of the things that destroy marriages is communication or lack thereof. There's three things. Number one, communication. Number two, finances. And number three, in-laws. Let me just break those three down communication. In in an aspect of communication we must understand that your spouse is not your enemy. And as a spouse as a husband we must learn to sometimes just listen, not hear what we want to hear but to listen intently to what a spouse, what your wife may be saying. And that is listening intently. And that means hushing up for sometimes and not having to fit in and listen to where the frustration is coming from. If the wife at home is doing everything on their own and what we're coming home to, just sitting on the sofa and just watching TV all day, why wouldn't a spouse be angry at that? What about if you make a purchase that you shouldn't make a purchase and not consulted your spouse to make these decisions? There are people who believe that they should have separate bank accounts. I, I told totally disagree. I think that when, you, when God puts something together, everything, you become one. At least that's what the Bible tells me. And I'm a person of faith, and I believe in God, and I believe in the Word of God. And if the Word of God tells me that once two become one and they are united, everything becomes one. There shouldn't be an emergency account just in case I need to leave. I, there shouldn't be that aspect of... It's a little bit of my she money or my he money. It, it all goes into the same purpose, into the same household, into the same vision, to the same priorities. But in communicating, is the greater part of communication is, is something that took me a very long time to actually do, is that the greatest aspect of communication is listening. Is listening to your spouse so that then you will be able to communicate with respect, with love, with compassion, and being able to say the person who I'm sharing my life with is the most important person in my life right now. And quite often we reduce that person to the smallest thing because we want to feel totally control of our relationships. It to becoming one. So the idea of communicating is that we're going to with love and respect and compassion, be able to articulate our pain, our frustration to our spouses so that they understand where we are. And when we both do that, then we're able to come to an agreement on how to move forward based on the priorities of the home. Number two, finances. Now, finances are just a symptom of poor communication, priorities, and respect for your spouse finances is the second thing why people end up destroying their marriages they don't know how to manage their money they have different bank accounts they have their different interests and when you see the spending or you see the debt getting out of a control that you cannot make ends meet then becomes more of a problem finances for men when you're not able to provide in your home it really brings you down, your value, your 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 stock goes down because you feel inept. You feel like you're not meeting the end of the bargain. And when you have the inability where you, you can't provide for your family, you can't find a job, a man feels completely emasculated. It feels completely uh, unworthy to support their families and care for their families. And that's the self-reflecting question where a man should ask, why is it that I can't find a job? Why is it that I don't want to work? It, it, they're two totally different things, right? And so you're just being completely apathetic about it. You, you kind of just have to change that mindset up and get to it. But finances have a way of destroying marriages. Number three, in-laws. We must cut the umbilical cord with parents. Let me say that again. We must cut the umbilical cord with parents. Once you are married, you leave your parents to make your own family. Your family's advice, your parents' advice will be taken at a measured time, but they do not run your household. They don't control your marriage. They don't control your relationship, your husband or your wife or your children, Your parents are no longer the priority in your relationship with your spouse. Your immediate household becomes your priority. Parents get to be to the point of you're on a need-to-know basis. There are limits. There are boundaries you must put on parents. You know, I've seen so many marriages be destroyed because the mother is always critical of the son-in-law or the father is always critical of the son-in-law or daughter-in-law. As a parent, again, I'm going to tell you this, as a father of two girls, the day comes when they decide to go into a dating and become married, they are making a choice as a father Of course, there would never be anyone good enough for my daughters because no one can take care of them as well as I have, but that's the choice they made and I must respect that. You know, as men, sometimes when I hear other men tell me, oh, wow, your girls are so beautiful. Like, you know, you must have a little machete ready or, or something to just, you know, protect them. And the truth of the matter, there is no machete big enough and there is no bat big enough to fence off those boys that are going to come or men that are going to come to date your daughters. Right. They're going to fall in love with who they're going to fall in love with. Your job as a father is to have had a standard that they know what. It means to be treated with love and respect, that they know what a good touch is, that they can see and they have seen in you that you have modeled what fatherhood, what manhood, what husbandhood looks like, what a godly man looks like. And as a man, you have to evolve, you have to draw closer to God, but your daughters and your sons must see you be that man that you were designed to be. You were designed to be the protector of your home, your provider, your you would design to cover your family in prayer and intellect you would design to be there to 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 love your family to spend time with your family to build their confidence to show them that daddy walks with them so when your in-laws get involved in it they have a tendency of trying to mend for their past uh, sins with their own children and try to make things right with their grandchildren you know so you must be able to cut the umbilical cord with your parents mom you're on a need to know basis dad you're on a need to know basis and what happens many times when parents become so involved in their children's marriages it's a matter of control it's a matter of still feeling needed there is a book by C.S. Lewis called The Four Loves and in that book he writes about the need love the, the parent who continues to do things for their children even though their children tell them don't we don't want you to do it anymore the parent has not gotten to the point where they can let go it's no longer about loving the children it's about they themselves can't feel needed anymore and for a person to get to later on in life and see that their children don't need them anymore when all of their lives you've been cooking cleaning and taking care of them and now they don't need you that's a I man that's a different topic that's like the emptiness syndrome that everyone will experience at some point in their life but we while you are in your marriage and you're starting in your marriage Please I I, I ask you to just draw the line with your in laws, draw your line with your parents. Leave and, and and let them be like you're gonna solve the problems in your house. One of the, the one of the things that destroy a home is when the wife goes to the parents and tells them everything that's wrong in the household, or the son goes and tells everything to the mother, oh my wife can cook, she can't clean, and and, and the mother, what is gonna do cook? Come, come here, son, I'm gonna give you something. You hungry? Here, here and, and, and they go back to this pampering and this coddling and this babying. And it's like, no, like we're gonna solve these problems at home. Like, we're going to tackle these situations at home. When your parents ask you how are things going, they're going great. They're going wonderful. Yeah, we're making stride. We're on the move. We have priorities. We're communicating. We're doing great things in our home, right? Now, if that's not the case, I would tell you not still not to go to your parents. I would tell you find a great, great counselor who is going to help you work a lot of these problems out. When we go with our problems to our parents, we are making matters worse because they're bringing, you're bringing judgment on your spouse to your parent. Please rectify this in your marriage. This is one of the reasons that destroyed the marriages. Even if you have the ability to just it's sit at the table and not say a word to each other, but just stay there and get through that time of a meal, have it, okay? But we must be able to understand and identify those things that destroy a marriage. Poor communication or lack of communication, not being clear about what it is that you're going through. Number two, the finances that people get in debt, they go into this high p- buying um uh, expensive items and then they don't have ways to pay the bills the things that are priority they don't have an emergency fund they don't have finances to cover anything that comes at the last minute and your in-laws those three things can kill your marriage cut the umbilical cord with your parents number three the third truth principles to help you if you're on the verge of leaving your family this is serious stuff, and I want to take some time here because this is where we're going to come back to the center of why I feel we're spiritually bankrupt in this country. Three principles to help you if you're on the verge of leaving your family. Number one, pause, stop for a moment, and think. Don't do anything else. Don't make another decision. If you need to take a drive and park somewhere just to think and get away, just, just, just or take a walk, or but you must be able to just pause and not make another decision. Think about your family. Think about everything that you built over the years. Think about having to explain to your children perhaps the reasons why you're leaving your home. If you think about the moment that you have to sit down with your children and explain to them why you feel that you need to walk out of their lives and leave them exposed, impoverished to fail and vulnerable to vultures and predators or anything who's going to come in and destroy your children and have your children's ear, then think about those two things and say, well, if I leave, this is what it resolves for me. All my quote-unquote problems will go away, and I'll be able to be free and liberated to do the way I want to live my life. The truth is that just by ignoring the problem or walk away from the problem does not solve the problem. It's like I've always say, not making a decision is a decision. Pause for a moment. Think about what you're doing. Think about the lives that are in your hands and how you are just going to take it and just throw them in the garbage because of your own or my own selfish need. Think, please. Pause, don't walk away from your family. Think about your next step and the loved ones. Think how deeply they'll be wounded and impacted by your decision to walk out of your loved one's lives. Number two, communicate. Communication is listening intently to others and what they have to say. Speak up and articulate in a respectful, loving, and compassionate manner your feelings, your struggles, your insecurities, your vulnerabilities and mistakes. Remember, your spouse is not your enemy. There are other things that are not resolved, particularly in your own personal life, particularly in your own upbringing. Remember that if you didn't have a father growing up or your family was broken, that's what you're bring into your marriage. You're going to solve, try to solve problems the way that you did, that your parents did. I, for one, didn't have a father growing up, and I didn't even know what the function of a, of a man was when I first got married. And I shared this before. I, I, in my, the first arguments that I had with my wife, the first thing I wanted to do was to run out. I wanted to leave the home, and I'm I don't want to deal with you. I didn't sign up for this. I signed up for happiness. I mean, isn't that what we all signed up for, the happily ever after, right? The fairy tale wedding, and to say, ooh, I found my charming prince, and I found my, my princess, and now we live happily ever after. Anybody who's been married more than three years, four years, know that that's not the reality. And for me, at the beginning of my marriage, what I wanted to do was just walk away, walk right. And I remember clearly, when I tried to do that, my wife just stood in front of that door and blocked it and said, you ain't going anywhere. We're going to solve this problem here and there. Now, you know, she, she blocked my way. And then in time, we began to talk about how I dealt with situations and problems. And she began to tell me how she and her parents taught her how to solve problems. And so she came from a very structured home. I came from a very dysfunctional home. She came from a very nurturing, loving environment. I came from a very toxic environment. And so when you put those two together, it's a recipe for disaster, but the mercies of God, but God began to do the work in my life and in her life. And together we began to build this marriage that is now 21 is going to be 22 years in the making soon. Please remember, communicate, articulate, give your spouse permission to speak her emotions, her feelings, let them all out, and then you speak yours and come to a point that you say, okay, we need to solve this together for the sake of our children, for the sake of the love that we have for one another. Remember, love is not an emotion, it's a principle that when you said I do, you committed yourself to love that person unconditionally to the day they die, whether they're skinny, whether they're chunky, or whatever emergency, or whatever Uh, things come to life you committed yourself to loving that person number three and this is where we can bring it all back together pray something powerful happens when spouses sit together and pray when god is invited to take part of your marriage he begins to do something incredible in each person first in the individual and then collectively Prayer opens the door for God to do the impossible. And what's the impossible is to bring healing into a broken marriage, is to bring healing into a scarred relationship, to mend this broken relationship, these broken families and these shattered lives that have been destroyed by not putting God as the center of your life. In everything that we do, we should pray. But I know for a fact that one of the things that turned my life around, my marriage around, is when my wife and I began to really pray intently for our children and for our home. We began to put our selfish ambitions to the side and we began to work towards one common goal. Our priorities that our home was going to be a God-centered home. This is where the turning point in our marriage came about. When I had to address all my shortcomings, all my failures and sit down at the table and go and, and sit down and explain to her where I was as a man in my in my in my journey in life. And she had to explain hers. And we began this healing process. We began the, the process of restoring a marriage that failed in many areas in our lives. But God began to do that work as a man growing up without a father. I've had many, many gaps that I had to learn from other men, great men that got put in my life. There's a book by John Eldridge that says, "Father by God, I please recommend you. If you're a man, please go purchase that book and read it. Fathered by God by John Eldridge. It blessed my life to understand when we as men are thrust into a level of responsibility from such an early age when we're not prepared, it destroys us. And we become uninitiated men that, as I mentioned before, we come, become little boys trapped in men's man, bodies trying to do this thing called life. And I'm paraphrasing here. We don't know how to step up to the plate and take care of our families. We don't know how to have meaningful conversations because we didn't have anyone to mentor or father us through those things. And I'll share a quick story with you. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm not a very handy person. And but uh, I, my father-in-law, who who was a super, uh, is retired now. I mean, he could fix anything. You know, there wasn't any a thing that he couldn't put his hands on it and just fix it. And I remember one day, um, if you're a man, like you know, if you have to drain the sink or or like it's full of hair and all that stuff, I hate doing that. But one day, I remember. Um, having to fix the sink and it was all backed up and and I took everything that was out and then I I, I I realized that one of the pipes was completely rusted and it completely broke the truth long story short is that I didn't know how to fix it and I grew frustrated, I was angry and I was like I felt so uh, inept and I, I felt so completely useless and I'm like, what good am I for I was going through these emotions and then something said, well you know after, and this again comes after reading the book Father by God. Um, and I remember calling my father-in-law and, and I said, hey, dad, listen, um, I'm having this problem. You think you can help me? And he goes, uh, sure, son, uh, let's put the FaceTime, let's do the FaceTime on. And, and he, he began to guide me on what part I needed, uh, what size of the, of, the, of the pipe that I needed to do, what instrument to use. Long story short, he began to guide me to fix the problem and I was able to put everything back together. The sink was taken care of. But that was a moment that I was fathered by God my biological father was not there but God had put a great man in my life who taught me how for that one particular moment to fix a sink a pipe that for many would be like are you serious yes because there are things in our lives that for us other men might be well are you serious yeah Because when we have those gaps and those spaces in our lives, those empty things that our biological father never taught us, we are then left at the mercy of what? Of our attitude and how we respond in the moment when we feel completely inept. But God will always provide someone to follow you in the areas of weakness if you would just swallow your pride and you would just ask for help. As men, we are to be there for one another. As men, we are a brotherhood that we should be able to lift each other and encourage one another. Masculinity is not a bad thing. Masculinity was created by God for good, to protect, to honor, to love, and to cherish our loved ones. There is no sense of denying yourself the right to be fathered by someone who is good in an area that you're not. It is a God-given gift that we look out for one another in that. But as your family comes together, begin to pray over every single circumstance, and communicate, and then the aspect of forgiveness and restoring your life and your marriage will come to pass. As I was growing up, I, I, I kind of reverted back to this psalm over and over again, and it reassured me the goodness of God in my life, and that is Psalms 2710, and it reads, Though my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will receive me. And that verse for me meant so much not having a father and growing up, what I, all the statistics that did not happen. I was supposed to be incarcerated. I was supposed to be dead. I was supposed to be a drug dealer. I was supposed to be this. But I prayed that prayer, and I asked God, would you father me? I don't have a father. Would you help me? Would you teach me? And my life began to change in such a way because he began to put great men in my life that were great models and mentors in my life. And so I share that with you because if you are that child that your father is not there, I pray this over you. I pray this over you that though your father and mother forsake you, the Lord will teach you. Let me go back to the question. Why do fathers leave? So according to David Brooks, the author of the article, Why Fathers Leave Their Children, Fathers don't simply abandon their families out of laziness or lack of love. They leave because they feel unworthy. Think about this. If you're feeling unworthy, what is it that is deep in your heart that is making you feel that way? My prayer today is this. Stop for one second And think before you take the next step to walk out of your family. I don't know who's going to hear this at any particular time and moment. And I don't know what you're going through right now. But before you walk out on your family, think about what you're leaving behind. Think about your children who you're going to leave exposed. Think about the wife or your husband who you're going to leave behind. Nothing in this world can ever come close to the value of your children, how scarred they will be because their father, their daddy walked out of their lives. I pray that over you before you make a decision to walk out or to be present and be absent at home. That's a whole other problem as well. That you really think about how your presence in the home matters Men, fathers, you matter a great deal, regardless of what society says. We matter greatly to our children. Men need to teach young boys and young men how to be men. Women have had this difficult task of trying to raise men. And quite often, they try to make these sons into the man they wanted their husbands to be. A woman can never teach a boy how to be a man. Only a man can teach a boy how to become a man responsible, a protector, a provider, a lover of God, a defender of his family. That's what a man is. Masculinity is not wrong. The strength of masculinity is in the self-control that one has in order to what? To lead your home. If you're a son or a daughter, I pray for Psalms 2710 over your life today. May God be your father in the moment where you feel fatherless. Our quote of the day comes from Mark Batterson. Your prayers for your children are the greatest legacy you can leave. Remember, never compromise integrity for comfort. Stay strong, my friends. Till next time. Bye-bye.